0: Let me ask you to turn with me this morning to Psalm 119. You're going to want to have that open before you this morning. I want us to look at this psalm as a whole. Now typically when I preach, I make it a point to read the entire text. I'm not going to do that. This morning, if I did, I'd just have to sit down when I was done reading because I'd be out of time. Maybe that might be the best way to use our time this morning. Last evening, we thought together about the sufficiency and the power of the Word in the life of the church. As we engage in the ministry of the Word, whatever form that takes for us, there needs to be this conviction, deep down conviction, that God's Word has power in it. Not in some sort of magical way. No, it has power simply because it is the Word of God. It's God's Word, and He intends to accomplish things through His Word. And here is a chapter, a long chapter, Dedicated in its entirety to speaking of the power of God's Word in the life of the believer. Verse after verse after verse speaks of what the Word can do. What the Word does. And there's a lot of verses here. In fact, one of the first things you'll notice when you turn to Psalm 119 is that it's a long chapter. As you probably know, it's the longest chapter by a long shot in your Bible. 176 verses long. And another thing you'll notice right away is that this psalm is divided into stanzas. Every stanza has eight verses. And at the head of every stanza is a strange-looking word. And that strange-looking word is actually the name of a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. 22 stanzas representing 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And in Hebrew, every verse in each stanza begins with its representative letter. So you can see it is a very carefully constructed poem. Much care, much deliberation has gone into the writing of this psalm. But... The most important thing to notice about Psalm 119 is what this psalm is about. It's all about God's Word and the effect of God's Word and the devotion that a person comes to feel towards God's Word because of that effect. Virtually every verse. There are a few exceptions. Some say one. Some say two, some say up to six, but virtually every verse, all 176 with only a very few exceptions, speaks about the Word of God and the effect of the Word of God. And the whole psalm speaks about the devotion that arises in the heart of the believer as he interacts with the the Word of God. So I want for us to spend a little time here this morning and just be instructed and be affected by this psalm. And the section, the stanza that I want to particularly call your attention to, at least to get us started, is the one that starts at verse 89 and goes to verse 96. Let me read that. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. And then look at that next verse. Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. Now, here's the question for us this morning. If God's Word is so powerful, if God intends, as we said last night, to use His Word to form His people to accomplish things in our lives, how do we tap into that? How do we position ourselves to benefit from this living, active, powerful Word? Well, Psalm 119 provides the answer to that question as well. Here's the answer. Actually, before I give you the answer, uh, let me just share with you a little homiletical thing that I'm guessing many of you already know. One of the things that I would regularly teach, again, when I was at Trinity, um, I tell the guys, listen, when you're preparing a message, when you're preparing to preach, one of the things you must do for the sake of integrity handling God's word rightly, and also for the sake of clarity, communicating to your people is you want to do your best to try to capture the main burden, what I would call the primary claim of the text. You want to try to capture that in a single sentence. And that sentence is called your proposition. There should be a one-to-one correspondence between your sermon's proposition and the primary claim, the primary burden of the particular passage that you're preaching. And you want to make that sentence clear and crisp and concise. You don't want it going on and on and on. So here is the proposition for the message this morning. The problem is it's not concise. It does go on and on. In fact, it's an unending sentence. It is the ultimate run-on sentence. Here it is. Here's the proposition. Here's the truth I'm trying to communicate this morning, which I think reflects the truth that Psalm 119 is seeking to communicate. Devoted actions toward God's Word produce devoted devoted affections for God's Word. Now you say, that's not so bad. Well, I'm not done yet. Devoted action toward God's Word produces devoted affection for God's Word, which in turn produce more devoted actions toward God's Word, which produce more devoted affection for God's Word, which in turn produce... Well, you get the point, right? Devoted actions toward God's Word produce devoted affections for God's Word. When you prompted by God, motivated by grace, take appropriate action toward God's Word. When you take steps to position yourself rightly toward God's Word, you will begin to experience in your life all of those effects that God intends to accomplish. And when you experience those things happening in your life through the working of God's Word, oh, that will produce in you deep affection for His Word. So what do we actually do? What are these devoted actions? How do we position ourselves to benefit from God's Word and cultivate the kind of devotion that we see reflected here? Well, there is action we must take. It's not automatic. Nobody drifts into devotion to God's Word. And so Psalm 119 outlines for us, it looks at us and says here, oh, and here, and here. These are devoted actions. Here's how you can position yourself to come under the powerful effect of God's word. Please don't miss the connection in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation All the day. How how did that happen? Where did that love come from? Because the psalmist doesn't just drum that up. And it wasn't there before. Well, he's come to love the law because he meditates on it. And through that, God is at work in his life and his heart is filled with love which makes him meditate more. Devoted actions... (laughs) like meditating, produce devoted affections, like love for God's Word. Because God actually does use His Word powerfully in our lives. And when we experience that, our love for God grows. And when our love for God grows, our love for His Word grows. How could it not grow when you see what it's doing in your life? So what I want us to do in this session is to point to these Devoted actions that are laid out in Psalm 119. And I want to do that so that what is described here, what we see here, these devoted actions and the resultant devoted affections would actually characterize our lives as well. So, four devoted actions, four ways that we can position ourselves for God's Word to have its powerful effect. First, devoted action number one. We need to be receiving God's Word. That is a devoted action. We need to make sure that there is in our lives a getting of God's Word into our lives. We need to make sure that we are placing ourselves before God's Word. You've got to make a choice whether you're going to do this in your life or not. There must be a seeking out of God's Word. Verse 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. Now, the way that the psalm speaks of this is primarily in terms of learning, being taught. Over and over again, the psalmist expresses his desire to be taught. Look back at verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. I'm placing myself as a student. I want to receive your word. Now he recognizes that he needs something in order order to learn. He needs something from God. Look at verse 73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. But he so badly wants to know. He knows he needs God's Word. Look at verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Look at verse 135. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Here's the psalmist saying, God, I want to know your ways. I want to know what you love. I want to know what... You hate, I want to know how you think. Teach me through your word. So here's the question. Is there in your life a regular, consistent, steady diet? A regular taking in of God's word? Are there focused times of receiving God's word? Is there that devoted action in your life? Now, let's at least begin to get practical here. Scripture suggests that there are two ways that that should be happening. It should be happening in the company of other believers. There should be a receiving of God's Word through the regular teaching of God's Word in the company of believers. And it should be happening when you're all by yourself. A regular, private reading of God's Word. I think that reflects the balance in the Christian life between the personal and the corporate. Our personal fellowship, relationship with God, and our participation in a corporate experience, part of God's people. Both of those should be present. Now, we do one of those every time we gather on Sunday morning, for example. But let's not be quite so fast. It's one thing to come to the meeting. It's another thing to make that a devoted action. I'm regularly trying to encourage our people at Crossway, when you come, come hungry. Come needy. You should be coming into the building on Sunday morning saying, Pastor, teach me. I need what's in that book. It's a devoted action. It's not just a, hey, this is what Christians do on Sunday mornings." I'm purposefully placing myself under the receiving of God's Word. The Bible also teaches, though, that there should be a regular receiving of God's word privately. Placing yourself privately in focused, undistracted ways before God's word. This, this is an action that you take of getting God's word into your mind. Receiving it. That's the first devoted action. Making sure there is a pattern, a regular receiving of God's word. Second. Devoted action number two we see in Psalm 119 is something called meditating. We saw it there in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That word shows up time and time again throughout this psalm. Look at verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways all the way through to the end. Look at verse 148. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. So what does it mean? Well, in one sense, it means simply to think about, to ponder, to reflect. The Hebrew word actually means to mutter, to go over something again and again. But as you look at the way this idea is presented in the psalm, you realize that this is not just some intellectual having thoughts in your mind from God's Word. No, meditation is purposefully placing thoughts from God's Word as the controlling framework of your mind so that everything gets processed in terms of God's truth. You face a particular situation in your life and you think, hmm, what does God think about that? What would God say about that? Listen again to verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Purposefully bringing God's word into all of my thinking. And not just throughout the day, but when I lie in bed at night. Verse 148. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. I don't know about you, but I'm not asleep least I wasn't last night, through the entire night. There are periods of time when I'm just laying there. What's in my mind? What is, in fact, um, exercising its influence as the controlling framework of my mind? So here's a devoted action. Meditating. Are you meditating Is there something you can point to in your life that looks like what the psalmist describes as meditating? Third, devoted action number three. Hiding. Or to use the language of the ESV, storing. Look at verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. man. you know this. We need God's Word. Uh, The Word of God that comes from the mind of God has been faithfully preserved here in our Bibles. And that word, Word, in verse 11, I have stored up your Word, that word comes from the verb to say. So the psalmist is saying, I have stored up what you have said in my heart. Again, I don't know about you, but I have stored up so many things that people have said to me in my heart. Things that my parents have said to me. I've stored them in my heart. Things my wife has said to me. Things my children have said to me. Something that an elderly gentleman said to me in the middle of a wooden bridge spanning the Snake River out in the middle of Grand Teton National Park. I wasn't about to jump. Don't worry. I was reading a book and he came walking by and asked me a question and I answered him and he took a few more steps and then he turned around and spoke some words to me that I will never forget. I have stored them in my heart because they were so deeply encouraging. Things that students have said, things that coaches or teachers have said to me, I've stored them, not just here, but here. Because the memory of those words spoken to me encourages me. I've got like a little treasure chest of things that people have spoken to me. And the question is, have I stored up, am I storing in my heart things God has said? We need God's word. We live by God's word. We are sustained by it. We're strengthened by it. We cannot go on well without it. And we need it here. Not just here in our Bibles. We need it in us and not just here. But what does verse 11 say? The Word also needs to be stored up in our heart. It needs to be in you. Ready to do its work. Part of the very fabric of your being. It's not enough for you to have access to a Bible. And you can go look something up. You don't always have access to a Bible when you need the Word. And even if you do go look it up, it's not the same working on you from the outside as it is working on you from the inside. You've got to have it in you, worked into the fiber, so that it's an automatic part of your thoughts and your feelings, not something consulted out there, but something operating in here, where you think and where you feel and where you will. In order for it to be effective in this way, you've got to have the word stored up in your heart. It's a devoted action. Now, right now, you might be hearing that and feeling like I'm laying down some new rule, some law. Thou shalt memorize Scripture. You might even feel like I'm beating you with a stick right now. Got to memorize Got to memorize. I hope you don't feel that. It's the last thing I would want you to feel. This is not some formal duty. This is a gift. It's a provision. God has given this to us to store it in our hearts to help us to live. So, what does this actually look like? I want to share with you just briefly this morning a little bit about how this Devoted action has functioned for me. I started memorizing Scripture uh, through the encouragement of my church and through the encouragement of my family when I was a young boy. I'm still seeking to memorize Scripture, and even if I hadn't started as a young boy, I think I'd start now. I'm 60 years old, because I need it. I recognize there's a danger in using my own experience, but I, I trust you understand my purpose is not to call attention to myself. My purpose is to be helpful. Um, And I know what God can do to people who call attention to themselves. I just want you to benefit. I want you to see the effect, the difference, the usefulness in real life. So I'm just going to trace through a few points in my life. The early ones will be a little bit more kind of illustrative. But as I move on, I hope it will be more and more evidently applicable to every one of us. Let me just briefly share five examples. Number one, one of the very first passages, I mentioned this last night, one of the very first passages I remember committing to memory is Psalm 19. My father was leading the family in this, and we would do it as a part of our family devotions, and so as a young boy, I memorized the heavens declare the glory of God. and The firmament, because I memorized in King James, The firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day pours forth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. Because that passage is stored up in my heart, I literally cannot look at the night sky. I cannot look at the moon rising without that verse coming to my mind. And having a very specific effect. That word in my heart has altered how I respond. I virtually cannot look at mountains or out over the ocean or at any scene of natural beauty without something happening. Every time I find myself confronted with natural beauty, which is daily, because the world is so amazingly beautiful, my mind goes to God and my soul goes to worship. The word stored in my heart turns what would otherwise be a godless experience of natural beauty to a time of worship, transposing that experience to a higher key and keeping me from the sin of ingratitude. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now what made the difference? god's word not just knowing it but having it stored up and it's there directing it's shaping it's influencing it's keeping me from from those kinds of moments falling into the sin of praiselessness worshiping the creature instead of the creator example number two The scripture I remember my mother quoting to me most often as a boy, in fact, so often I memorized it without even trying, I mean, she stored it up in my heart, was Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And how often I think about in my late teens and in my early 20s, Those verses serve to keep me from the sin of self-reliance, on one hand, lean not on your own understanding, and from despair, on the other hand, He will direct your paths. What made the difference on countless occasions? God's Word stored up in my heart and brought to mind, Thy Word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin. My third example, as a young man in my mid-teens, when I desperately needed something to rivet my life to, something to give clear and just unchanging direction to my life, during those years we were encouraged to choose a life verse and memorize it. I chose Philippians 1:20 20, and 21, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know how many times, I mean easily hundreds, probably thousands over the past 40 years now, that verse has been effective in reminding me what my life is about. What my life is for and keeping me from the sin of self-absorption or wasting my life The word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. Example number four. Over the years, I have faced, as I know you do, challenges to my belief in God. There's times you wonder, times when this idea of God being for you, actually seeing you, and being ready to help you seems uncertain. You're tempted to unbelief. In those times, you need some word of truth, something to strengthen you that's stored up in your heart. In fact, I've needed several words stored up in my heart for this particular need so that when I'm tempted to unbelief, these words, God's words, things God has said are there. The eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the whole world, the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are fully committed to Him so that He might give them strength. I think about Isaiah chapter 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Have you not heard? Have you not seen? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding no one can fathom He gives power to the weak. And to him who has no might, He increases strength. Even youths will faint and be weary, and young men will fall exhausted, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then I automatically just skip over to Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Those words have been stored in my heart and they have helped keep me numerous times from the sin of unbelief. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, it's not magic. This is not some incantation-like recitation of words. It is the bringing of truth. It is the delivery of strength. God ministering to you by His Word that you've stored up, keeping you from sin. One, just one last example. When I'm weighed down, just wondering if anyone else can identify. When I'm weighed down, I'm aware of the effects of living in a fallen world. I'm tempted to discouragement. I need God's Word, which has been stored up it's not operating in my heart. It's not the same if I just go and look up a verse. It doesn't act the same way if it's out there. If you've tried, you know what I'm talking about. It needs to be in here. And so I draw on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart, though our outer man is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed daily. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. I think about Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. In fact, I think about all all sorts of other things from Romans 8 that I've stored in my heart that the Spirit witnesses to my spirit. And that the Spirit helps me when I pray and that God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ and that He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? What a treasure chest Romans 8 is. Yeah. Store it up in your heart. Some time ago I read the words, these words from Dallas Willard he says, as a pastor, teacher, and counselor, I have repeatedly seen the transformation of inner and outer life that comes from simply memorizing and meditating on Scripture. And listen to these words. He says, personally, I would never undertake to pastor a church that did not involve a continuous program of memorizing the choicest passages of Scripture for people of all ages. Now you read that as a pastor and you can either feel guilty (laughs) or grateful and it probably depends on whether your church is doing it. So when I read that I felt really grateful. You might think well it's great to have a scripture memory program but I can't do that because my mind is now 60 years old. And I agree with everything you said. I'm grateful for the effect of God's Word. I just can't memorize Scripture. Well, let me ask you a question. I think it was Don Whitney who actually suggested this. If we offered to reward you $1,000 for every verse you memorized, could you do it? And you think, well, yeah. Let me Just let that sink in for a moment. You see, you can do it. The issue is motivation. The issue is value. And Psalm 19 says, God's Word is more valuable than gold, yea, than much fine gold. So the issue is whether or not you believe that. And By the way, the question I'm asking you here is not designed to make you feel guilty. It's just to get us past this blockage of I can't do that. You know you can do it, if you recognize what it is. Number four, fourth devoted action. I just wanted to spend a little more time with that third one. Number four, fourth devoted action, applying. Applying. So you should be receiving God's Word. That's a devoted action. You should be meditating on God's Word. That's a devoted action. You should be storing God's Word in your heart. That's a devoted action now. Psalm 119 tells us we should also be carefully applying God's Word. Here is a devoted action intentionally following God's Word, allowing God's Word to shape, to direct us, making sure to transfer to whatever part of life it applies to, if it's instruction, to do it. If it's a promise, to trust it. If it's a description of God, to believe it and let it lead you to worship, whatever it is, to actively, intentionally, purposefully apply it. Look back at the very beginning of the psalm. The psalmist says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. That word walk is a very common way of speaking about applying. But the most common way that Psalm 119 talks about this is in that word keeping. Keeping God's Word. Look at verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Or look at verse 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it. Notice this. With my whole heart. That verse reminds us that keeping God's word, applying, is a devoted action. With my whole heart. We see the very same kind of devotion in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore, my soul keeps them. It's not just some external thing. This is a devoted action. Application is something that I pursue with my heart and with my soul. All right, these devoted actions towards God's word produce. Do you know what they produce? You know the fruit that this will bear? it will produce remarkably devoted affection for God's Word. In fact, I want you to see this. I want you to see these effects. These affections. There's three of them that dominate this psalm. Let me just quickly go through these three. You will find yourself first actively delighting in God's Word. Just listen to how the psalmist speaks. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandment for I delight in it. I mean, clearly he likes saying this. And not just saying it, He really does delight in God's Word. Look at verse 46. I will speak of your testimonies before kings. I will not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Even in times of difficulty, delight is still there. Verse 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Do you hear what the believer says? I find delight in God's word. How did that happen? Our hearts are inclined to look for delight in all sorts of other things. The psalmist is no different. Now he says, verse 111, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. How did that come to be? Well, when we, through devoted action, position ourselves to benefit from God's word, and God's word does its work in our lives, and we experience the goodness of God, affection, real affection, genuine affection, starts building up toward this word that God has used. Yeah. And it doesn't stop at delight. I mean, the, the, the delight stays, but even deeper, stronger affections are added. Look at, look at verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I mean, as good and right as it is to delight in God's word, there's something more than delight going on there. That feels like love to me. Many times in this psalm, the writer expresses his love for God's word. He doesn't hesitate. It's all over. Sometimes with very deep Look at verse 167. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. You know what I hear there? Oh, how I love your law. How has this love been born? Well, God caused it. It is the effect of God's work in your life through His work. Our hearts were made to love God, and when we see his work in our lives by his word, deep love is produced. When we position ourselves to receive from God what he intends for us through his word, our experience of that work produces love in us. Through these devoted actions, God produces devoted affection, which brings us to a third affection, and it's devotion. Not just light, not not just delight, not just love, but something called devotion. This is the believer saying, I've been so affected by God's word. I've experienced, I, I see it, I understand. Yes, it's my delight. Yes, it's my love. But so strong has been the effect on my life that my life is now marked by devotion to God's Word. So another quality has been added to that love, this devotion, this commitment. So he says, I will not forget your law. I will not turn away. I am devoted. Look at verse 106. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Do you hear the devotion in that? I mean, throughout, throughout this study of Psalm 119, I have really come to love, verse 93. I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. The psalmist is saying, Look at what happened to me. Look at what you've done in my life. I'm totally devoted to you. Doesn't matter what I face, doesn't matter how long I live, I will never forget. I'm completely devoted. Now, it's so important for us. To make sure right here that we understand that ultimately this is devotion to God. That's right. Given the emphasis of this psalm, some scholars have accused the psalmist of worshiping the word instead of worshiping God. But I want you to notice nowhere in this psalm, in all of the 176 verses, nowhere is the word ever seen as apart from God. Every mention of Scripture relates it explicitly to God. It's your precepts, your commands, your testimonies, your words, so that when we hear God's Word, we hear God. When we obey God's Word, we're obeying God. When we delight in and love and are devoted to God's Word, we are delighting in and loving and devoted to God. Listen, when you seek God's Word with your whole heart, you are seeking God with your whole heart. When you do that, your experience will be like what is reflected in Psalm 119, verse 162. Do you see what he says there? I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I mean, if those four actions are happening... Uh, These will be your words too. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. You know what I hear there? I hear someone regularly going to their Bibles and saying, look, look at all that is here from God for me. And when that is our experience, we can say with verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. When the psalmist said that, he didn't drum that up because, you know, that's what Christians are supposed to say. That's how Christians are supposed to feel. No, he experienced the word working in his life and because of that, he now delights in the word of God Friends, what a treasure. What a treasure. God has given this to us for our life and for the lives of the people in our churches, young and old. And so let us pursue it with wholehearted devotion. And by so doing, find ourselves in deeply devoted relationship with God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just humbly ask, make it so for each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.